The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it and I can't. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Welcome along to the football show on tonight's Off the Ball. Aston Villa have just scored against Burnley. It could be another important goal in the fight to beat the drop. It is Bundia who has scored for Aston Villa to equalise against Burnley. That game is now one apiece, just three minutes into the second half. Uh, they're also back underway for the second half at Chelsea 1, Leicester 1. And Crystal Palace's lead against Everton on the hour has been cut back to 2-1. Now, Crystal Palace are in really good form. They play Manchester United in their last game of the season. Delighted to say that Andy Mitten is with us for the football show. And Andy, is there any nerves about Manchester United going into this last game against Crystal Palace? West Ham would have to win their game for it to become a potential slip into the Europa Conference League. But it seems on the face of it that Palace are finishing the season pretty strongly. They are. They've only lost four of the last 16 games. They've taken four points off uh, Manchester City and Arsenal this season. And I think Patrick Vieira has done a very good job. They were unlucky to lose at Old Trafford in the first game of Ralph Rangnick in November. They should have gone ahead. I think Palace has been one of the success stories of this season. If you look at the league table before tonight's game, there were 13, so that doesn't sound so impressive, but they could still finish as high as eighth and they've got a better goal difference than the teams above them. In fact, they've got a better goal difference than Manchester United. So it's a big game because there is a a significant difference between the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. I say that like I know something about the Europa Conference League. I've I've never seen a game in it live. I just... I've seen it from a distance this year, seeing the teams who are in it. But I think the Europa League's really impressed me this year as a tournament. Big teams, big traditional clubs in it, big surprises as well. Who would have thought Rangers would have got to the final? Barcelona would have been uh, knocked out. And let's be realistic, Manchester United's level at the moment is more Europa League than, than Champions League. So I do remember a time when United fans mocked Liverpool for playing in the Europa League. Uh, but this is where Manchester United are right now and don't deserve to be any higher. And a big reward to bat for the Europa League here. Antrik Frankfurt will go into the Champions League draw as number one seeds because they've won the Europa League, a team who finished well off the pace for the Champions League spots in the Bundesliga. But Frankfurt can now look forward to potentially an easier group off the back of winning the Europa League than if they had qualified in fourth place in Germany. And that's not to be underestimated, even when you take into account what a huge night it was for the club uh, to win on penalties in Seville against Rangers last night. That added little cherry on top of going into the Champions League and the riches that are available. The Europa League has got that nice little incentive for the winners each year. Yeah, I, I think that um, Frankfurt have had a great competition. That win in Barcelona, and I was there, I was in the stadium when they brought 30,000 fans. They they did it the hard way. I thought Rangers were unlucky, but I loved looking at that final. And I, I didn't have a dog in that fight. I just watched it as a neutral. And uh, the fact that the stadium was just full of, of colour, it looked like every single fan was wearing colours. Loads obviously didn't have tickets. Uh, either and yeah, I think the, the Europa League is, is, is a decent tournament and if you look at who won it last year Villarreal they got to the semi-final of the Champions League this year they didn't even finish top of their um, group 
a team called Manchester United actually beat them home and away, but Villarreal did, did exceptionally well, knocked out Bayern Munich, knocked out Juventus in the group stage, was at them games, and then lost to, to Liverpool. Um, the damage was done in the first leg at Anfield, but really gave Liverpool a fright in the first half of the second leg. So it, it does show that the Europa League winners can go on and, and, and can do well. And again, it's not the Champions League, certainly not, not financially, but... When I see the teams in the Champions League, um, there are, of course, there are some great teams. They're the best teams. Um, but some of the clubs, it's a bit samey. And when I look at the Europa League, I think, oh, I fancy going there. You know, as a travelling fan, mm-hmm. there's a little bit more intrigue there. Now, I could extend that to the, the conference because there'll be places that none of us have ever been to before. But I'd rather try and be positive and hope that Manchester United can get a result at, at Palace. But... Look, look at the form of United, look at the results, look at how well Palace are doing. It's a really, really uh, difficult game for Manchester United. A very poor Manchester United with demotivated players, confidence is low. Ralph Rangnick's last game as, as interim uh, boss. So I'll be going to Sellers Park and I'll click through the turnstiles and think that United can win. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if I keep seeing uh, the repeat offences of the team going behind and then struggling to get back into the game. What do you make of Eric Ten Hock's decision not to go on the holiday with Ajax after their season? They were due to go to the Caribbean. He's opted not to go. Uh, all reports are, and in the Athletic, there's that report today that he is going to be at Selhurst Park to watch his new team in their final game of the season. And that work begins in earnest for him at the start of next week. Does that send a signal out about what Ten Hag has to do? Or what did you make about this decision? I, I thought it was a, an encouraging decision. I don't think any Manchester United fans would have a problem with that. United wanted to make the appointment as soon as possible because players, potential players were saying, yeah, I'm interested in joining your club, but who's going to be the manager? So the fact that he he got a third league title in four years wrapped up with Ajax, he's been in London this week meeting Manchester United people. There'll be a lot of activity next week. Um, He's going to be meeting people as well. That's all good for me. And then, He'll get on the training ground, which I know he loves doing, at the end of June, have a couple of weeks before United fly off to to Bangkok for a pre-season game with Liverpool and then on to Palace uh, and Aston Villa in in Australia. So I'm encouraged uh, by it. I think he's got a huge job. Um, I think he did excellent at at Ajax. I I like what I hear about him. I've spoke to lots of people about him, Um, journalists in Holland, football people in Holland, people who've worked with him and... The reports are good. Now, I might say that the reports were good before Louis van Gaal came or Jose Mourinho came, so I'm slightly circumspect. I think you've got to be with Manchester United. I think it'd be a really, really tough job for anybody coming in. But there's been so many changes at the club, and and they will continue. Um, That There'll be more departures. There will be more arrivals. I've covered this football club for over 30 years, and I've never seen a time where there's been so many changes among the staff, not just on the football side, but on the non-football side as well. Yeah, because we all remember back to 2013 when Alex Ferguson gets on the microphone at the end of that season and says, your job is to support your manager. Since then, there's been so much upheaval from that one season with David Moyes, from Louis van Gaal getting a couple of seasons and a very disjointed feel about the transfer market across the next three managers where Jose Mourinho was playing with players who were clearly being bought for Louis van Gaal. And then you have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming in in a caretaker position, but eventually getting it full time. And then Ralph Ragnick coming into an unfortunate situation where he's almost like the problem solver, but he also has to 
coach the team and he's also meant to be the guy who's going to be the brains behind the operation almost like a football director going into next year and we'll see what happens with that now he's taking the Austria job that's a lot of upheaval and say a lack of continuity off the pitch and we, we've heard this every time that you know Ten Hag is going to come in and he's going to have free reign and he's going to have time and he's going to be backed over a period of time but Manchester United have to get things right behind the scenes if this is going to work out even if they are appointing a guy who clearly is a very talented coach here Yeah I, I would agree with that and this, this has all been about John Murta making these decisions so he will live and die by those decisions John also was key in bringing Ralph Rangnick in. I don't think Ralph Rangnick has been a success as a manager. I'd love to say otherwise. I think he's dealt with the media in a, a very encouraging way and a lot of fans have bought into that. But football managers will be re, will be judged by uh, results on the pitch, performances on the pitch, and it's been very, very disappointing. And that has been his priority. Some fans seem to think that he's making these overarching decisions He's not um, the, the 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 scouts going, for example, some of the changes in the personnel. No, he's not making those decisions. Um, Ralph Rangnick's priority has been coaching um, the first team and struggling with that. Now, John Murta um, will work very closely with Eric Ten Hag. The manager will have the power. He'll have the power of veto on any signing that comes in. And I've seen that reported as that being a significant new thing. It's not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also had that that power. And what you get with Manchester United is a, a player might be identified and will be brought to the club's attention. They'll watch him, they'll scout him. Um, there's, there's football people there who will add their input, but the manager always has um, the final say on that. And Eric Tenog's got very strong opinions on, on what works and what doesn't for his type of football. He will be afforded money and patience and... United fans will get behind him, as they've done with all these managers post-Ferguson. I, I spoke to David Moyes about his time there, and he, he, he feels and felt that he deserved more time, but he didn't fault the fans inside Old Trafford for the support that, that he had. So I know there's been a lot of changes. I know the current team is a mishmash of players been brought in under several different um, managers, but managers do get time. Louis van Gaal had a couple of seasons, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. United didn't want to sack any of these managers until the point that it was going really, really um, badly. So there'll be minimum standards for Eric Ten Hag. He can talk a good story, but if the team is 17 by December, then that just wouldn't be acceptable. I don't think anyone expects United to be winning the league next season. Fans are ready to be pleasantly surprised. They're predisposed to support the team. They hope that the players cannot be as bad as this season. This has been a terrible season for United. The worst since 88-89. There's been no trophies now for, for five years. There's been so few highlights. And probably the best thing about it is the league position. Somehow Manchester United are six, but the team have conceded too many goals, not scored enough goals, over-reliance on Cristiano Ronaldo's goals. I would hope for a big improvement off every single player who stays uh, especially some of the ones who you know are world-class, like Raphael, uh, Varane, Marcus Rashford, um, if he stays, needs to improve a lot. And he wants to. These people want to do better. Harry Maguire is a captain. He's had some good seasons. This hasn't been uh, one of them. So I think you'll see a rise in optimism. The mood at the moment has been pretty much on the floor. And another defeat at Palace will see it sink again. 
Winning the Youth Cup was great at Old Trafford. There's a wonderful occasion there last week. And then the optimism will rise because football fans are football fans. They want to believe new players will come in. Eric Ten Hag's a new manager. He'll say the right thing. We'll get good indications pre-season about how the team are running harder, how they're fitter, et cetera, all these small details. But that can evaporate very quickly with a, a poor start um, to the season. I think United have got a very, very motivated and successful manager, but he's also not coached so far in, in the Premier League. And I, I wish him well. He's going to need it. He's going to need luck. He's going to need support, both internally and externally from fans as well. Yeah, I think the narrative changes very quickly if they do poorly. It becomes, this is a guy who was only really previously at the top level with Bayern Munich's second team. He's only managing the air to VC and then that becomes the conversation if it goes poorly. It goes well. He's the manager who brought Ajax to a Champions League semi-final in 2019 and it's a, a totally different story. I know that you say if Rashford is still at the club, would the expectation still be that Marcus Rashford is going to be there? Because I think if Manchester are going to do well, Ten Hag needs to get the most out of Rashford and try and get him back to the form of a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, if you ask me a yes or no, I'd say yes. I think he he, he will stay mm. um, because if he was to go, United would want so much money for him. And I think there's a lot of goodwill towards him getting back. He's, he's a Manchester lad. He's a United fan. His United career has not been a bad one until this season. And it's been really bad this season and, and for some of last season uh, as well. So if Real Madrid came in for him tomorrow and offered 80 million, I've no doubt that Manchester United would snap their hands off for him. But that's not going to happen because of the way that he's played. So I think it's far more probable that you'll see other departures before Marcus Rashford. Uh, Rashford would have to push to leave. Lots of the players are out of contract. So we're likely to see um, the departures of, of, of Juan Mata, um, good player, great person. Edinson Cavani, great player, terrible season this year because he's not been fit enough to play. Um, Phil Jones has got another year left, but he, he'll want to play football. We saw reports today about Aaron Wambasaka. I'm told that the focus will be on bringing a midfielder or midfielders and forwards in. Um, I've probably missed a couple of people there who will Pogba. be leaving. So you, you, you're going to get Pogba. Um, Pop was out of contract. Um, he's got an offer from Manchester United, and I think he probably wants to leave Manchester United. And we saw him being linked with Juventus. Speaking factually as a journalist, he's not signed anything yet. Um, he's got an agent who will be doing the talking for him and speaking to different suitors, seeing what they've got to offer. And that agent's job is to say, okay, we've got this offer from this club. A, B, C, D, E. There definitely was interest from Manchester City a few weeks ago. I'm told that the player, um, well, well, saying thank you very much, didn't want to go and play for Manchester City. Would have been a bit problematic for him living in Manchester, I think, if he'd, if he'd done that. And finally come good, because he's been an underwhelming signing overall since that world record transfer fee. We did a poll on United We Stand a month ago. 95% of United fans polled wanting to see the back of Paul Pogba so there are mitigating circumstances that, that there always are in football but he's another player who uh, has underachieved and there's a sense that Eric Ten Hag as the new manager he's got to start getting a tune out of some of these players with huge reputations United's wage bill is still far higher than Liverpool's but look at the difference between the two teams it is absolutely vast so something's got to start coming right again and the idea of being linked with big names, that's not worked either for Manchester United. So if Eric Ten Hag says, I want this player who nobody's heard of, 
fine, go for it. He's the manager, not the fans. Uh, he's been successful. He's got to be back to in, in his vision. And I think United in the past, in the post-Ferguson era, uh, have been dazzled by names. You've had a situation where agents have gone to people like Ed Woodward and said, would you like Radamel Falcao now? And he's like a kid at Christmas and, and all the fans would be. And I was. Yeah, of course, of course. Here you go. Work him into your team. But hasn't worked out. I could name 12, 15 players who've come in with great reputations and become significantly worse playing at Manchester United. That that has got to change. If United are going to be successful again, it's got to be a better dressing room. It's got to be more discipline. And there's got to be um, a better effort from the collective because the team are punching way below their collective talent at the moment. Yeah, Richarlison has just scored for Everton two apiece so Leeds supporters oh. might have just been uh, feeling the pressure was off slightly with Everton being behind and 2-0 down in that game and Aston Villa have pulled back that goal against Burnley so one apiece currently in the Premier League. When it comes to signings you're in a unique position here Andy where you've got uh, an eye on Manchester United but living in Barcelona so therefore you might have an idea about what's happening around Frankie de Jong. He's been heavily linked with Manchester United. I think uh, from what Juan Laporta was saying yesterday, there's an acknowledgement in Barcelona that ultimately they would like to get some money in and there aren't many players that they could sell that could command a fee. Is this a case that it might work out for both teams? Manchester United get a player that has played under Ten Hag previously and Barcelona can get in ready money, which they need for the end of June? Yes, is a very simple answer to, to that question. Um, I spoke to people on both sides. I've, I've been in in both cities. I'll do exactly the same uh, this weekend. I'm going to meet someone from Barcelona next week. Um, and Frankie is someone who Manchester United are absolutely interested in. Because Barcelona paid so much for him, they want to get as much for him. Xavi Hernandez, his manager, has said he wants him to stay. Managers tend to say that because... They want as many players to pick from as possible. I've watched him closely. I've probably watched 60% of, of his uh, of his home games uh, in camp now. Um, ever since he signed, he had a really good first season. He looks much better playing alongside Sergio Busquets um, than when he's given a more freer role. But I, I think he's a wonderful footballer. I think he's the type of player in the right system with the right manager such as someone like um, Eric Ten Hag, who could be be incredible. He's a very elegant footballer. He's an intelligent um, person. There are links between him and Ten Hag um, in terms of some of the people they're very close to. But United will not allow Barca to say, um, OK, Frankie, 80 million. Barca want that situation. Barca think that they can get top, top money from the Premier League. I think those days are gone. Because and I'm not just this isn't my opinion. I've been speaking to people involved in this situation. Uh, United are still coming back from from COVID. There will be money to spend, but you'd be looking at more like the figures which got Rafael Varane out of Madrid last year. Madrid needed money too last year. They offered Varane a contract, but didn't really push hard on that contract offer. And the player knew that. And Frankie De Jong would know if Barcelona don't really really um, want him. Uh, he's English, obviously speaks English perfectly. He's Dutch. They learn the new language each different breakfast each morning. So if he's signed, I think United fans would would totally welcome that as well. But then they welcome Donny Van der Beek, and and he's been a bit he's been a huge flop, and he's not even getting in the Everton side. Again, he might come back with a new manager who he's played so well under in the past, and have a complete change in fortune. So a lot of it's on the manager. 
But a midfielder, Frankie, will probably be cheaper than Declan Rice. I was told that there's no way United will be paying the sort of money that West Ham would want. And West Ham have got money now. West Ham's average crowd is almost 60,000. Long gone are the days where Manchester United could go into smaller clubs and get their best players. It's much more difficult to do that now. You saw that with how much the team, the club had to pay for, for Harry Maguire. Those days of going to someone like Tottenham and getting Teddy Sheringham or Dimitar Berbatov or Michael Carrick, it's long, long gone. So they've got to be smarter in, in the transfer market. But Spanish clubs still do need money. Cristiano Ronaldo, I saw Ten Hag was talking about him and said that he's a magic player, I think was the quote that he used. Ronaldo's output is still good. If you break it down into goals and assists from this season, it's been hotly debated throughout the season about his work rate, about his movement, about all those other issues outside of him scoring goals. But still, some of the best performances from Manchester United individually this year have been Cristiano Ronaldo. Is the feeling that he will stay for the second year of that contract and play next year? Or what's the word coming out of Old Trafford about that? Again, if you ask me a yes or a no, I'd say yes, I think he will stay. Partly because he earns that much money it's difficult for someone else to to pay what he's getting for someone of his age. Um, he's had a good season. His statistics are fantastic. Uh, he's been responsible for most of the best moments in, in a poor season. I could argue pretty strongly the, the counter side to the argument as well, and that the way United have to play has to change considerably with him in the side. That's certainly a view that um, Ralph Rangnick would be familiar with. Uh, the signing of Ronaldo was dropped on the coaches on like the day before it happened, the day it happened. And again, it's that kid at Christmas syndrome where would you like Radamel Falcao? Would you like Cristiano Ronaldo? Of course, yes, I would. But it, it, it doesn't always work. I do think Ronaldo has worked, um, but I, I'm sounding hesitant because um, I think that, that there's, there's an issue there. I think it's quite intelligent what Ten Hag's done and come out and praise him and Ronaldo has done the same because they both want it to work. It wouldn't surprise me if they've both spoken to each other. They both want Manchester United to be successful last season. They don't want to be at loggerheads with each other. And it would take a brave manager who signals the end of Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, career and starts to fade him out from view. Uh, he's very popular with United fans. He's still doing it and... And that's that, you know, there's, there's, he's not the problem for Manchester United at the moment. He's the one who's scoring the goals, scoring the hat-tricks. He was doing it in, in Europe. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think he'll stay uh, next season, but uh, it'd be very interesting to watch him next season. Hmm. On a final note, away from Manchester United, I want to ask you about the uh, Barcelona women's team who are involved in this upcoming Champions League final this coming Saturday against Lyon. And you were at Camp Nou with your daughter not that long ago for the Classico in the knockout stages of the competition, which was remarkable, even if the tickets are given given away, for 90,000 plus people to actually turn up to watch a women's Champions League game was remarkable. And this seems to be a tremendous team that Barcelona have put together here. They've just swept La Liga again. They concede so few goals. They play stunning football. And uh, it looks like they might go back to back in the European Cup this weekend. It's wonderful what's going on. And I took my, my daughters to that Real Madrid game. Uh, I think it was seven euros for tickets. And it worked because tickets to see Barca's men's first team are too expensive. Mm. And it, it, 49 euros minimum. 
um, it's too expensive to, to take for me to take my kids. I'm usually there as a journalist. I'm usually there in a press box. But my daughters are getting really into football. And my youngest one is telling me that she's Barca and she's singing all the Barca songs. And I'm saying, no, no you're, you're, you're Manchester United. And she said, no, no, I'm Barca. No, you're Manchester United. And my friends are laughing at me saying, you can't tell her who she supports. But when I see their faces, when I take them to the game, and they are going to see Manchester United this weekend, and I'm going to turn them this weekend. It's going to finally <laughs> happen. Um, these girls are fantastic role models for them. Their wage bill is nowhere near the biggest among women's football, but they've played a lot, they've played together since the age of seven. Several of them live quite close to where where we we are, and they're known in the community. Um, I've just got only got good things to say about them. I think what will happen is. Lots of them will end up moving to England for more money. Um, but Barca's women's team have been the, the preeminent force in, in women's football. That Madrid game was wonderful. It was brilliant. 92,000 people. And then they followed it up in the semi-final against Wolfsburg with another 90,000 plus crowd. So you're engaging with your community. You're getting families in there. Cheap ticket prices, absolutely essential. And as you say, there's, there's that final again. So... The stock of the women's team is really, really high for Barca. And it had to be really because the men's team have had a, a poor season, even though they finished second, which seemed improbable um, in November or when Xavi came in. Um, yeah, the women's team has been an, an absolute success. They've got some of the best players in the world. And through friends of friends, my family knows some of them. And I just hear good reports of well-grounded young ladies who are a credit to, to their profession. Yeah, it's a, a stark contrast when you see the men's team going out in the quarterfinals of the Europa League and their stadium effectively being taken over by Frankfurt fans by comparison to a full house uh, for those games in the quarter and semi-finals of the Champions League. Andy, thanks a million for joining us on the show tonight. Thank you. Of course, you can read more from Andy in many publications like United We Stand and also in The Athletic. Latest scores from the Premier League then as we go into the last half hour of tonight's games. Uh, Burnley hit a shout for a penalty. It was referred to VAR but not given. It's still one all between Aston Villa and Burnley. It is currently Everton 3, Crystal Palace 2. What a comeback this could be for Frank Lampard's side and it could secure their place in the Premier League for next season. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has scored the third Everton goal. There's three minutes to go. The 86 minute that goal coming from Calvert-Lewin it's one apiece between Chelsea and Leicester and in the League of Ireland Premier Division there's about five minutes left at Belfield Shamrock Rovers very much on course to go seven points clear at the top they lead by three goals to nil our football here on Off the Ball is with thanks to Sky you can watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports we're going to be looking forward to the last weekend of the season when we come back after this short break Probably did hate mail and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod Live. Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. It is all about the fight to stay up on the last uh, weekend of the Premier League but everything could well be safe and Burnley could have been dropping into the relegation zone but for a really good save Mick from what Pope. What a save from Pope. Yeah, it was Traore um, with a fairly good header. Like, you know, what? 12 yards, 10 yards out, low mm-hmm. to the side and Pope got right down to the ground um, and, you know, and, and saved it on his right. It was a brilliant, brilliant save. Uh, Jesus, yeah, that's the type of that's the type of moment that will keep you up. Uh, there's 10 minutes to go, still one all. 
I'm feeling her doing Burnley no favours here there's a decent chance for Danny Ings just on the edge of the box a few moments ago we're looking at that header from Troy it's really good reflexes from Pope to get down because good uh, low header as well like you know yeah he'd moved to one side and then he had to kind of readjust his body to get back so uh, Aston Villa almost going back in front it's one apiece between Villa and Burnley also one all between Chelsea and Leicester if Chelsea get that point they are assured of a third place finish they're going to be in the top four and in the Champions League group stages anyway but the game that has such significance is now three minutes of five into injury time and Everton who were 2-0 down in the first half against Crystal Palace now lead by three goals to two and it's those men who people said were going to keep them up lads uh, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin Andy Martin's here as well if they were going to stay up they needed goals from these players and it looks like in a game that really matters the one where three points would officially keep them safe it looks like they've delivered in the last ten minutes of the game it's absolutely incredible when you think about it I mean Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't been fit since August I did, did he get that goal at the weekend he was uh, he, do you remember after they had scored at the weekend and he was saying to the referee that, w- that was my goal the Brentford one yeah yeah yes. it was going to be given his own goal but he claimed it was his that's yeah. that's the instinct of a good striker Andy <laughs> claim everything you possibly can absolutely yeah the, well, fair that, that feels like you know coming from 2-0 down and a like full on disaster to win in 3-2 on the Thursday night before the end of the season is just it's classic really isn't it like it's pitch invasion stuff I hope not but. <laughs> yeah we had enough of pitch invasions <laughs> this week with uh, Sheffield United yeah. and Nottingham Forest but um, and have a look at the historical footage of Brian Clough if you want to see a pitch oh. invasion do you see that that's the first thing I thought of. Cluffy handed out two digs. A Nottingham Forest uh, pitch invasion was like lucky Brian Clough wasn't there he would have taken care of some business to his own fans like yeah yeah Oh. The, the one there's, if, if people don't know this you have to just go and look it up there's the one where he just comes from behind to a guy to some Egypt acted the maggot like yeah. Clough comes from behind and punches him in the jaw over his shoulder but what's classic about that clip too <laughs> is that there's a third guy who looks particularly tall that's maybe about a foot and a half uh, taller than Clough and he just sidesteps him and walks past him <laughs> uh, there was no bravery from Clough when it came to that guy but um, yeah mad scenes during the week in that uh, playoff semi-final in the championship but um, 94 gone now just one minute to go Everton against uh, Crystal Palace maybe the TV companies picked the wrong game in going for Aston Villa against Crystal Palace um, but Villa are laying siege to Crystal Palace's box at the moment it is still 3-2 to Everton against Palace and one apiece between Chelsea and Leicester and the full-time whistle has just blown Shamrock Rovers are now officially seven points clear at the top of the SSE Artistry League Premier Division they have played one more game than Derry but 7 points clear after 17 games after Rovers beat UCD in their Dublin Derby tonight by 3 goals to nil Andy you have been taking a look at some of the classic last days of the season this Sunday we've got live commentary Manchester City's game against Villa where probably the Premier League title is going to be decided Brian Curran Steve and Doyle are going to be there for us uh, I'll be in the chair here keeping an eye on everything else happening on the final day of the season but you've picked out some of the best final days that we've previously had where are we going to start? Yeah uh, the first one we're going to go with I think is probably the earliest of the most memorable final days and that will bring you back to Anfield in 1995 when Kenny Dalglish brought his Black, Blackburn side there and they needed to win the game up at Anfield while Man United were at uh, Upton Park. Ham. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were up at West Ham and United basically had to leapfrog them over to win the league. Uh, Shearer got his 34th goal of the season in that game, 20 minutes into the game. Like 34 goals in a season. I don't even know if he played the entire 38 games, but incredible turnaround. 42 games. That was, yeah, it was, oh, the, yeah. it was oh, yeah, two more teams yeah. in the league at the time. You're right, yeah. Uh, but then what happened was uh, West Ham went ahead through Michael Hughes as well. So everything looked great for Blackburn at the time. Unfortunately, Brian McClare 
then equalised for United. And then not too long after that, just before halftime, John Barnes equalised for Liverpool, making things a little bit interesting. I mean, all United had to do then was just kind of hope for everything to kind of go their way. And then in injury time, I think you'll remember Jamie Redknapp scored that fantastic free kick. And then all United had to do was try and score a goal. Last few minutes of the game, they couldn't get it done. And then Blackburn just ended up winning the game. Were you born? No. No. <laughs> we were. We were. This my, is an incredibly memorable day. Abiding memory of that day was that Andy Cole was in red hot form going into that game at Upton Park. Yeah. And nothing happened for him on the oh, day. Oh, he couldn't score no matter what. I mean, the amount of chances. I've never seen so many chances fall to one player in the same mm. game. And they were all like four or five yards out. Like it was like 50, you know, 20 people in the West Ham box. You know, United wearing all black and Cole just like getting chance after chance after chance after chance. I think like, was it Ludek McCloskey going goals for West Ham just making. He made a couple of good saves. saves with legs. Yeah. It's one of those kind of days where a goalkeeper has a brilliant day against a team, and maybe it might never happen again. Yeah. But I think a lot of United fans probably thought going into that last day that Liverpool were just going to roll over for their club legend. Kenny Dalglish is coming to town. Blackburn going to win the league. No chance that Liverpool are going to want to hand another title to Manchester United. By the way, <laughs> Frank Lampard has just given the biggest fist bump uh, seeing outside of a Tipperary <laughs> hurling game. Uh, Seamus Coleman celebrating, and yes, there are fans invading the pitch, and they're going for Dominic a bit surprised I have to say that there's fans invading the pitch but Everton have just won 3-2 against Crystal Palace comeback win quite remarkable uh, the police are now making their way onto the pitch to probably curb the amount of uh, pitch invasion that we're having Alan currently Alan Kelly there uh, giving Lampard a hook yeah, uh, yeah of course Alan Kelly left the Republic of Ireland setup, but stayed working uh, with the Everton team and there's now blue flares on the pitch too remarkable scenes Mick that we're watching here probably it's huge full on, it's full on flare blue flare invasion Calvert-Lewin's been absolutely surrounded like yeah this is the Everton players don't seem to mind too much yeah. they're absolutely no, they're delighted, delighted yeah. it's like honestly I can't imagine there'd be bigger scenes if they won the league Delhi Ali in there as well Everton legend yeah, I was just going to say I don't know if uh, Delhi Ali will play in blue too many yeah, more he, times he doesn't, like, he doesn't seem to like it too much he's been, he's been like hugged to death by a few fans as well yeah it's actual chaos you'll be seeing these scenes later if you're not on the TV right now yeah, it's great scenes. Uh, Seamus Coleman, the club captain in the middle there. You've got uh, also Michael Keane, who's now actually walked into the crowd. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's given away his jersey to a fan, which is maybe his way of getting off the pitch now. But uh, yeah, I mean, what a turnaround. Because the thing is, Andy, last week you mentioned Brentford, where it felt like a collapse when there was an opportunity for Everton to make themselves safe. Back to Goodison Park, where they've got a poor record this year at home. Had to go to Arsenal on the last day, where Arsenal could show them no real mercy because Arsenal need to win to put pressure on Spurs. And Everton have turned it around in the most remarkable way possible. And maybe that means Frank Lampard's going to stay there next season. Yeah, but you know what? I, I don't know how this is going to end. Isn't it? But in the sense of in the next coming in the coming days, there's going to I think there'll be a lot of criticism still. There'll be a lot of people turning around and saying, well, that Everton squad shouldn't really be in a relegation battle either. Hmm. So it kind of goes both ways. At the moment, they'll be celebrating. Uh, ah. I think Ashley Cole was in the celebrations you're pretty happy ago. for Coleman don't you like, I think so you know, he's full on hooking um, Pickford and Alan Kelly Pickford, here currently. Pickford very happy so like, the players are absolutely ecstatic here this is I don't think they were third favourites to go down out of you know to, going into today weren't they like even in the last few weeks I know they've been under a huge amount of pressure but look fair play I'm not going to I'm not going to things them celebrating them at one point. Yeah. Um, no they did that was a couple of weeks ago though but uh, yeah like, oh my god it looks like the 1980s <laughs> and that's not just the fans also the state of the Goodison Park Stadium but Oof, the yeah. 
it's plan B. Wow, Good thing there's oh no more. Oh my god, this is full on. Wow. No more matches at Goodison Park for the rest of the season because they go to the Emirates this weekend. But incredible things. These are actually great to see. I mean, you can. Doesn't uh, look like there's any violence or trouble anyway. Oh, no. Yeah. But this is like after the semi-final of an FA Cup. If a team has won and their fans just pile onto the pitch. Will we see Frank Lampard sing his own song again tonight <laughs> as he did in his his uttermost triumphant occasion as a manager? <laughs> Will this be about Frank? <laughs> that's, that's uh, you know, and I don't mean to be always. We always have goals of Frank Lampard and whatever, and whether he had a good or a bad job here, I think it's certainly up for debate, as Andy said. Um, with Everton, you know, like ultimately they did get the job done once they fell into that. So you know, he absolutely deserves another season. You move on, you see what happens. But the real question is, will Frank Lampard make this about Frank Lampard in the aftermath? And if he doesn't, we should come up hands up and say, Do you know what, he he, he was a Fair humble play manager. He, he said John McAverloon did a great but job. I don't, I don't envision me having to uh, eat that particular humble pie. No, possibly not. Wonderful scenes. Uh, BT Sport have just cut away from it now, but Everton have beaten Crystal Palace by three goals to two. Uh, the other games tonight are one apiece. Aston Villa won, Burnley won, and it is Chelsea won, Leicester won currently. And as I mentioned, uh, UCD nil, Shamrock Rovers three. But uh, what a night is been uh, for Everton so that means that it's a straight fight out as things stand going into the last day of the season uh, Burnley have got a substantial goal difference advantage over Leeds so you would think that Leeds are going to have to beat Burnley's result on the last day and Leeds go to Brentford and Chelsea are going to finish up in third place in the Premier League if they can hold on in injury time against Leicester where it is currently a goal apiece got slightly sidetracked there Andy where yeah, are we absolutely. going next uh, next one we're going to go to is probably the most famous one and not even probably I would say it's the most famous one it's the Manchester City versus QPR and Sunderland versus Man United 2012 Zabaleta scored with a few minutes just before half time everything looked great for Man City at the time going into half time they're thinking okay just hang on maybe get another goal they come out from uh, half time and Gibriel Cisse gets an equaliser then Jamie Mackey takes the lead not too long after that and uh, do you remember Joey Barton's red card do you remember that in the game? That that gets overshadowed a lot. There, there was a huge commotion about that, I remember. And uh, that was maybe with about 20 minutes to go, I think. And I can't remember exactly who he had fouled, but he gave out. And then next thing, there was a there was a dead leg mm-hmm. to uh, to Aguero, I think it was. And thank God uh, he didn't <laughs> hurt Aguero too much. Otherwise, we wouldn't have probably the best moment in Premier League history. Uh, it had great commentary, Martin Tyler, with the Aguero, which will always be remembered. But this came back to the Formic this week. It came up in the Wag of the Christie trial. And Paddy Kenny uh, had a magic tweet <laughs> because uh, <laughs> Wayne Rooney was not happy about the fact that Paddy Kenny didn't make an effort to dive for the Aguero goal. I think if he had dived, he wasn't going to save it anyway. But uh, Paddy Kenny putting up on Twitter uh, both two things, which were a serious, uh, serious beef with Rooney. Uh, one, that Paddy Kenny reckons at 44, he looks younger than Rooney at 36. <laughs> and the second part was, he said he was glad he didn't dive and he put up a painting that he had of the Aguero goal against him. <laughs> his place in history. Yeah, well, well. I'm glad we, he's we confident in his enough looks. about Wagner Christie, to be honest. Yeah, um, Paddy looked all right. He's having his pint. He's enjoying yeah, himself. Yeah. Uh, happy enough to have a laugh at himself, I would say, too. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, sorry, go on. I was going to. Uh, do you want to talk more about Paddy Kenny? Or? Oh, yeah, go for it. Go no, on. I just think that the, I, I don't want to. I, well, I don't have anything else to say about him. It's not that I don't want to talk about him. I just think, I just think you can. It's such a famous moment that you can forget how thoroughly unlikely it was. Mm. The fact that Jekyll's goal was what? Three minutes into injury time? I think it was you the know, 91st They minute. needed two. Mm. And then it's like, right, okay. You know, United had the job done. Full-time whistle went. I remember, like, we played it actually when we had the 20th anniversary news talk there. Like, our reaction on air and Jer's reaction, which was like, 
Dave McIntyre was at the stadium of light and was like, you know, United face an anxious way and it comes back to Jarrah's like, oh, I don't think it's going to be much of an anxious way oh, at no. this stage, Dave. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be much of an anxious way and City don't look like they're going to do anything. It's, ah, ah, silence. And oh, it was so my, dramatic. My body like. memory was too that they cut to a two shot on Sky and they actually showed Show Wayne both. Rooney, I think, uh, coming off the pitch, so happy, job yeah. done. Obviously someone has informed him that QPR had scored a couple of goals yeah. at the Etihad, so it looked like it was game over. Then Jekko scores and there was literally that nervous wait as we went through it I'm not sure if I'm entirely gone Mick on the statue that Aguero got last week mm. yeah, it doesn't look anything like Sergio no but hey Aguero's not going to complain but what yeah. a moment in Premier League history <laughs> older listeners will be saying to me a more dramatic finish was Arsenal having to go to Liverpool on the final day and win Tuesday night though that was a, re, a, a replayed fixture it wasn't yeah. quite the sort of 10 games at the same time double games but you'll never get anything like that again the fact that they were with each other had to win by a certain amount like that was like legendary like you know that's there's documentaries and films and everything else made about that now this isn't Frank Lampard's fault uh, Frank Lampard <laughs> is making his way to the dressing room and he is being followed by the cameras as he makes his way back so I think uh, the TV are going to turn this into a Frank Lampard moment anyway, it genuinely f- looks like the aftermath of a monster final in the mid 90s here it does a bit with, with <laughs> blue and white as opposed to insert monster colours of your choice there you go Frank just, Lampard running down the tunnel at Semple Stadium currently to make his way back to the uh, dressing rooms at Goodison Park don't forget football here on Off The Ball is with thanks to Sky watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sport which is what we are doing currently it's still a goal apiece between Aston Villa and Burnley Burnley have just had a player sent off so they're hanging on in injury time it's Chelsea 1 Leicester 1 we'll give you the results of those games when we come back after this short break